everybody hear me? Yeah, yeah. Brianna said I look like Britney Spears with this thing on. <laughs> I'm going to dance in a minute. Just kidding. All right. Let's just take a minute. Thank you, Jesus. Worship is so sweet. We love you so much. Okay, welcome to Sunday night. I love Sunday nights. They're so sweet. We've been talking about the book of Exodus. And so one thing we have to do whenever we talk about books out of the Old Testament, especially like Exodus where the stories are told really frequently, is we have to kind of get a new perspective or at least a fresh perspective of what's going on. Um, some of you who were brought up in church have heard these stories a lot. Um, stories of, you know, the plagues and the Red Sea and all that. And then some of us who are newer believers, they're, you know, it's like kind of confusing. Like, what's going on? And so it's, it's a good idea to kind of let's take a minute and let's talk about how we're going to read um, our passage tonight and how we're going to kind of digest it. And I want to suggest that when we're reading the Old Testament especially, but all of the Bible, but that we kind of um, do it in three different ways, all at the same time, but we look at it in three different ways. We're going to look at um, our, the book of Exodus historically. That's the one we're all probably most familiar with, that, you know, the story's real. It really happened. And it's really important because um, we can read this, this book strictly historically and gather tons, and, and, you know, the Lord can touch us, and we're in awe of how much the Lord has done, how, how far he's brought his people, and and um, how he's guided them and rescued them, and there's tons there. But I want to take it into um, just another layer even and talk about reading um, the book, like, prophetically. And when I say that, um, what I mean is reading it with the idea that there are shadows constantly um, foreshadowing Jesus is coming, that when we read the Old Testament, we see the New Testament. When we read the New Testament, we see the Old Testament. There's types of Christ. There's, there's constant shadows going on. And so it's kind of like saying nothing's just its face value. You look at something in the Old Testament, and there's like four layers deep, many, many layers deep of other things that are going on. And so we're going to talk about those. Um, I was talking to Brianna the other day on my porch, and um, we were in ministry school together down in Charlotte. And it was so fun. And that's where we met. She's from South Dakota. I'm from here. We met down there. And it was great. And one of the, um, every day we had a different speaker and all these different lessons. And one of the key, um, I don't uh, lectures, lessons that we had was something called like finding the New Testament in the Old Testament. And um, I was raised in church and know the stories and all that stuff. But it was like this um, teacher, he put a, fresh light on the scripture for me and I was able to read it in a new way and I asked Brianna I'm like do you remember that one class because we had a lot of classes and a lot of speakers and immediately she's like oh yeah oh yeah because it kind of did the same thing for you too yeah it was like kind of opened your eyes on a whole nother level and so that's things like um when we read the story of the Passover and, uh, and we read about the Passover lamb um, some of the notes I had from that class where the teacher was saying, oh, you know, and he was saying it real nonchalantly, like everybody knows this, and I was getting blown away. You know, when that happens, the speakers are like throwing out phrases, and you're like, slow down, that's all new. So he was saying things like, oh, yeah, you know, they'd bring the, 
Passover lamb, God told him, bring it in the house for five days and examine it, make sure there's no flaws, and then cook it and eat the whole lamb and all this stuff. He goes, it's just like Jesus. You know, he came into town for five days, and he was judged, and they found no blemish, and then he was sacrificed. I'm like going, oh, whoa, wait, this is all really, really huge. And so when we're reading the book of Exodus and, and, you know, all of the Old Testament, we need to constantly be asking the Holy Spirit for that um, revelation of the, the shadows that are, that are going on. And the reason that this is important is not just so we can go, oh, cool. Oh, man, that points to that. that is, that's cool. But it's like there's, there's more to it. This story um, is so big, the story of creation, the story of redemption. It's so big that God began telling it way back there, and he's continuing to tell it even now. The voice of God is so vast and so true that constraints like time, cultural differences, all that, that, that maybe would limit any other story or any other fact or truth, they don't even apply. So the story that is contained in the Old Testament isn't contained at all. It's just that's an expression of it. He's beginning to tell the story. And it's historical and it's true. And he's weaving all of this together. And so that's a really great way to read the scriptures, like, freshly, you know. And the one I want to camp on today is the practicality. Like, um, sometimes we think, okay... Plague of the frogs, how's that going to, you know, that doesn't help me in algebra. Um, (laughs) Can I use some of your funny voices? Is that okay? No, (laughs) I get to get my own funny voices. Okay. Um, For those of you who don't know, Adam's a master of funny voices. I know, I know, right? (laughs) This is what I've noticed. Like, in regular life, Adam's not very funny. But, like... (laughs) It's true. But, like, man, you get him up here on Sunday, and he's like, you know, bada bing, cracking jokes. And everybody's rolling, right? And in regular life, I am really funny. Really funny. You want to have me at your party, I promise. <laughs> but I get all serious up here. So, um, so we want to talk about practice. <laughs> that was really serious there. We want to talk about practicality. And and how we actually, how in the world are we taking these epic, massive stories that are awesome in themselves, but yet are also foreshadowing and telling the entire story of Christ? How how do we take these and like use them for ourselves? And um, in um, where's my scripture? First Corinthians. Do we have that? Did I give it to you? Awesome! Look there. In 1 Corinthians, it says, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Let's just let that marinate for a minute. I love that. Because in this, um, he's talking about, you know, I think he was talking about the children of Israel being walking through the desert and all these stuff. He was saying, you know, all the things that they did, Um, These things happen to them as examples, but they're written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. I just think that's awesome. All of the scripture is inspired by God, and all of it is for our good and for our instruction. Not just the red letters that Jesus said, but like 
the whole thing. And so I think that's, a, that's something I really want you to be um, kind of digesting while we read this passage that I have tonight. All right, so tonight we're going to be in Exodus 17. We've kind of, uh, this six-week series on Exodus has been funny because we've kind of skipped around. We're doing the skipping stone thing. We've done 3, 18, 32, and now we're back to 17. All right. Exodus 17 comes at a time when the children of Israel have been through a lot. Okay, we have the people of Israel, and they've been given this land, and they begin to flourish, and they multiply, and they multiply, and they multiply. And the Pharaoh of Egypt gets freaked out, and he thinks, these guys are going to take us over. And so he enslaves them. And for the next 400 years, that's 10 generations, the Egyptians live just a progression of the loss of their identity. You know, they started out as these people who were, who were um, saved from famine and, and provided for, and, and through 10 generations, they, I mean, I don't know 10 generations back of my family, but for that long, these people have been oppressed and enslaved, and the identity has just been um, extracted out of them, the identity that the Lord put them in. So 400 years they live that way. God decides he's going to do something about it. And what he does is he chooses Moses. And we've been through that. Moses, you know, he was a very strong warrior. Just kidding. He was nothing special. He was just this guy. <laughs> hey, that's, that's my joke. Um, he, was <laughs> he was just this guy, and, which is really encouraging to us because he was just a guy. But, you know, when the Lord chooses you and anoints you, you can do pretty much, okay, you can do anything. And so he, he gets this guy, Moses, and Moses proceeds to lead them out of oppression. He, the, God protects him, them, the, the people group, from all of these plagues that just destroy the Egyptians. I mean, I'm sure almost all of us know the plagues, and, and they were n- nothing fun. But yet this people group, who has been just, you know, degraded, is suddenly finding themselves the protected special group. And the Lord protects them through all that, leads them out of, the, out of Egypt. and doesn't just lead them out of Egypt with nothing. They end up, and I think Dusty might touch on this, they end up leaving Egypt with a lot of goods. And so he is just blessing them. And, and then they get to this sea, and Pharaoh's changed his mind, and he's like, oh, wait a minute, let's go after these guys to change my mind. So they see their oppressors coming after them, and they will surely overtake them. And they walk through the sea. They're delivered through the water. God saves them. They turn around only to see all of their um, pursuers destroyed. And then they get to this desert, and they're guided by God. So he has delivered. He has wiped out their enemies, and now he is guiding them day and night. It's not just guiding them when things are bright and pretty, but he's guiding them through this wilderness they've never been in. And so they're being delivered, protected, guided. And then they need some water. So he 
purifies the water. He makes it sweet. He takes something bitter and he makes it sweet. And then they need food. And after all of that, you'd think they'd be like, oh, you know, the big guy upstairs is going to take care of us. But they started grumbling and they're like, oh, we wish we were enslaved again because at least then we had warm bread and we had our home. And, you know, which is kind of weird when you meditate on that for a second. Um, They've seen all this miraculous stuff and they're just sure that God has brought them out to the desert to die and they wish they were back in Egypt. But the Lord, it didn't intimidate the Lord. He wasn't scared of their, you know, crazy mindset. He just said, I'll take care of this problem. And that's when the manna and the quail arrive. And every morning there's manna and every evening there's quail. And for 40 years, they live off this. I'm only 31. That means that for all of my life, if I was born then, um, there were children who were born, and all of their life they were sustained only by God. That was it. Um, It's no coincidence that they were sustained by bread, and in the scriptures, um, Jesus is the bread of life, you know? It's no, no coincidence. And so here we've got this people group. They've been through all of this, and they've seen what the Lord has done. And that's where where we come to today, and that's Exodus 17. So let's just read that together. We're only going to read verses 1 through 7. I can't see. I'm going to go over here. The whole Israelite community set out for the desert of... Do you say that sin or... Okay. All right. Sorry, I'm not a scholar. Um, Traveling from place to place, as the Lord commanded. They camped at... Yeah, there. uh, But there was no... (laughs) But there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses, and they said, Give us water to drink. And Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are ready to stone me. We could stop there. Okay. We just went through this with the man and the quail. They were hungry, and the Lord provided. And now here we are again. They're thirsty, and their immediate thought is, He's going to kill us. And our reaction may be to say, um, to pull a Napoleon Dynamite, Idiots. Um, to be like, really? I would so not be like that. I would be like, God is going to take care of me. Oh, yeah. But, but you have to think these people for ten generations have known nothing but a leader who wants to kill them, who wants to oppress them, who, who delights in their punishment. And so um, this journey in the desert, we're going to get to this in a minute, but it, they're learning that... God is nothing like Pharaoh. As if the things they haven't been through and already haven't told them that God is not like Pharaoh. It's like he's, he keeps saying, you know, I'm, I'm not Pharaoh, I'm God, and I'm good. And, I mean, if this was my kid, and he kept asking for stuff and asking for stuff, and I'll get you this, and I'll get you that, I'll get you that, and then he throws a great big fix, he wants something else, knowing full well that I will take care of him. If I feed my kid, I'm going to give him water. But, you know, I might be tempted to, you know, punish or get angry or her. But God is so good. And so let's read what he does. 
So the Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb. Yes, I don't know. Okay. Um, Strike the rock, and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah. <laughs> I should have gone through these pronunciations with you, huh? Because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? All right. This is what I want us to talk about. Let me find my place, sorry. I think the issue they had was obvious. They were thirsty. Why would someone's response to thirst be, I'm thirsty, someone, you know, my deliverer is about to kill me? Based on God's response, it was obvious that they just didn't know God. They didn't know him. They didn't know his nature. They didn't understand fully who he was, what he was about, and his heart for them as a people. It doesn't matter what God does for you. Protect, deliver, provide. It, it, none of that matters if we don't know him. These people were free. They were freed from the very thing that was sucking the life out of them. They were totally set free. And yet, and yet they didn't know that they were free. They didn't understand that their identity had changed. They were operating out of that same place in their heart. God had to continually reintroduce himself to them. It was like they kept meeting him. Did you ever meet someone, you meet them a whole bunch of times, you always tell them your name, but they never remember your name, you know? They kept meeting the Lord and seeing the Lord and seeing what he did, yet they never got to know him. They never understood who he was. And you may think, oh, well, that's just them. That's because they didn't know Jesus yet. But even in the scriptures in the New Testament, in Matthew 7, 22, um, Jesus says, did I give you that one? I don't know if I did. Let me pull it up here. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. That means that people really were prophesying in the name of Jesus, driving out demons, performing miracles, yet Jesus says he didn't know them. Well, these people were delivered, protected, saved, and they didn't know him. So what does that mean? You can be blessed. You can have all the riches of heaven poured upon you, but the only thing that actually matters is knowing the nature of God, is understanding and grasping that he's good. Nothing else matters. The blessings don't matter. The curses don't matter. The only thing that matters is knowing that God is good 
and his desire for your heart and for you. Mm-hmm. And we still may be tempted to say, okay, okay, yeah, that's people then, that's people way back then, and then in the New Testament. But even today, I mean, we all know people who go to church every single week, have their whole lives, you know, may be even volunteer in the kids' wing, but yet when something happens, um, you know, their lives fall apart and they're just sure that God is punishing them and on and on and on. It's because that, that key part of knowing the nature of God, somehow they, they missed that part. So all the other stuff is frivolous. The thing we need to get is get the, the heart of God, which is goodness and that he loves us. The zest of God, as Adam puts it, if we took a microplane on, on God, the zest of God is love. He's a good, a good God. So when these people cried out for water, what was God's answer? He told Moses to take his staff. And then it's always interesting in the scripture, whenever there's like a little weird little line that seems like it shouldn't fit there or like doesn't matter, it's like pay attention to that. And so it says he took his staff, the one he struck the Nile with, and it's that the one he struck the Nile with I want to look at for just a second. Um, let's just think for a minute. Moses, regular guy, he had his staff. Staffs then, you know, we herd sheep with them, we lean on them, we walk up rough terrain with them. They were practical. But then that same staff, these people saw Moses raise it up in water, fly up to the sky on either side and then walk through. They saw Moses take this staff, throw it on the ground, and it turned into a snake. Well, some of them did, or at least they heard about it. Okay? Um, Moses used this very staff to strike the Nile, and it turned to blood. They have seen this staff in Moses' hand throughout this journey. The very sight of the staff alone. You know, if he goes and picks that thing up, I'd be like, stuff's going to happen. You know, the very, that very object alone... Um, you would think would be like a, a reminder, a red flag of, oh yeah, oh yeah. If my heart isn't there, at least I can see that. But it's, I don't, I forget where I was going with that. <laughs> so he used that staff, the same one he used as he delivered the people. He used that to strike the rock. Jesus is referred to as the rock. And outflows the water the living water. And that's where the people quench their thirst. But I want to suggest that, that God's desire and goal wasn't just to quench those people's thirst that day, that hour in the desert. But he wanted them, he wanted to give them the same living water that hundreds of years later they'll talk about in the New Testament, the living water to where They won't be thirsty anymore because they're sustained with the knowledge that God is good and that he fills their every need. He's the living water. He was saying to them, I am God, your provider, your deliverer, your friend, your father, your brother. I am. We talked about that the very first week. He's saying, look to me, get to know me, for I have what you need. There's no rock on earth that, you, that water is in. Like, rocks aren't like Cadbury eggs that have a 
lovely, juicy center of water. Seriously, rocks don't have water in them. They don't. The only rock that has the water that can quench our thirst in our time of need is the rock. And this is just another one of those shadows, another one of those types, another one of those um, directives that's pointing you. He's coming. He's coming. This is his picture. This is his will. When Jesus delivers us from oppression, when we walk through the waters, just like the waters of baptism, when we turn around and we watch the Lord completely wipe away the evil that was just sure to overtake us, we come to the desert. But the desert, it isn't a curse. The desert isn't this awful place that the Lord's bringing you to to, for you to wither away. The desert should be, and his intention is, that this desert isn't a curse, it's a journey. That we come out of oppression, we meet the Lord, we watch the the stuff that was just sure to kill us. We watch it be washed away. Washed away in the water. And then we turn and we face the desert. But to everyone else it's a desert. But to the children of God, it was a land of provision. It was a land where every day they got up and there was food. And if someone came after them, the Lord was going to help them win, you know. And he was constantly constantly re-speaking their identity into them. That you are not a people group who is worthless. You are not people who were just put here to suffer and die. But you are my children, and I love you, and this may look like a desert to everyone else. It may look like a curse to everyone else. But this is the journey in which I'm going to... to speak to you your destiny, where I'm going to tell you that, that you have a destiny in me, and it's this promised land, and the, you're going to get to know me on the way. I'm going to provide for you. He didn't take them directly to the promised land because they weren't ready. If he had just walked through the water and said, here's your promised land, those people, they still had the identity of slave, slavery on them. They thought they were just, that their lives were worthless. And, and so they had to embrace and get to know the nature of God. They had to say, the Lord loves us and he is going to sustain us and he, he wants good for us. And so these people, for 40 years, a whole generation, they spent this time in the desert. And it was a lot of people. It was a lot of people. It was like maybe two million. Yeah. It's a lot of people. They just weren't ready for Canaan yet. They didn't just have to be set free from their oppressors. The actual people who were keeping them down. They had to be set free from themselves. The people who were born into an identity and a life that was not God's intention, that's what the Lord had to refine. They had to get to know God so they could know themselves. 
and that they could be fully um, sure of their destiny that God had for them. Because, you know, unless, until you know God, you don't know yourself. You, you have to press into the Lord, and he reveals who you are. Anybody who, know, who like, tries to figure out, oh, let me take this test to figure out what I'm like. <laughs> I like those, but I read all those, like, birth order books. I like them. I'm a firstborn. Um, <laughs> uh, you can read those all day long, though. And they might tell you, you know, some traits of being a firstborn and, and the secondborn and, you know, how to torment your sister and stuff. But um, that's just what I got. Um, but they won't tell you who you are. You can learn about yourself from things of the world, but to learn who you are and your destiny and your, the desires that God has for you, we find that by getting to know God. And one of the ways we can get to know God is to look around at the blessings in our lives. Because when we look at our blessings, we know God's good. When we know God's good, we want to worship him. And then we go in that cycle. We worship him, and he blesses us, and then we know he's good. And our blessings don't have to be miraculous, like I walked through a sea. Like every day, those people got up and found manna. Every day, their, their very sustenance was a blessing from the Lord, a supernatural blessing from the Lord. And that doesn't mean, you know, cheeseburgers on the ground, but we can look around. I mean, our breath, our family, our jobs, our friends, they're all blessings from the Lord. And we began to, to um, create a lifestyle of thankfulness and a heart of thankfulness, and we'll press in and we'll get to know the Lord. Mm-hmm. I just feel like God really wants to reveal his nature to us. I think he wants to show us that our very breath, the very air we breathe, is from him. And so I just want to, that's one thing I want to focus on ministry time. I don't know if you're ready, but I just want us to take a minute, and maybe we can even all stand up. I don't speak very long, sorry guys. (laughs) I'm kind of quick. Let's stand up.